shining a light to the nations. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Bill Cloud, and we are talking about the mark of Cain. Now, in the story of Cain and the story of Abel, the scripture reveals that, in essence, Cain is rejecting God's word, and he's rejecting the need for a redeemer. And when God, you know, comes to him and speaks to him, you know, don't you know what to do? It is right. Uh, Won't I accept your offering as well? Well, Cain rejects this. He he, ref- he refuses to uh, listen to and to act upon God's admonishment. So again, in essence, what that is, to, uh, what that's telling us is that in the beginning, Cain and everything that he portrays and everything that he's supposed to represent is rejecting the need for a redeemer, rejecting the need for the blood of the lamb. But instead of responding positively to God's admonishment, he goes and he lures his brother Abel, the one who did acknowledge the need for the Redeemer and the blood of the Lamb. He lures him into a field where he murders him. In fact, he slaughters him. So we could say that the enmity that exists between the two seeds, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, the wheat and the tares, the enmity is actually how you respond to the blood of the Lamb. How do you respond to the need for a redeemer. That's what Cain rejected. And when he rejects the need for a redeemer, the blood of a lamb, by default, he embraces and internalizes, ingests the seed of the serpent. And so, consequently, Cain is the first one that we have on record to embody the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist has been from the beginning, but Cain is the first one to embody the spirit of Antichrist. Because what we see is, as a result of his sin, he is a liar, he's a murderer, he's a robber. And because of all those things, God condemns him to be a nomad. In fact, he's the very first liar on record. When God asks him, where is your brother? He responds, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? He is the first recorded murderer, and he is the first recorded robber. Well, how is he a robber? He took Abel's life, and not just Abel's life, but those who would have descended from Abel, those who presumably would have learned those things that were important to Abel. And and, and so when God says, where is your brother? And he says, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? He says, what have you done? Your brother's bloods, plural, is crying to me from the ground, implying that God recognized that not only did Cain murder his brother, but he robbed the world of those that would come from Abel. He took that seed from the earth. Now, all this is of uh, great importance to us, of course, because the adversary is the murderer. The adversary is the liar. The adversary is a robber. John chapter 8 This is what Yeshua has to say about the adversary. He says to a group of people, You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So in that verse, it tells me this, that Not only did the adversary uh, create lies, 
Not, as, not only is he the father of lies, but he is a murderer as well. And so when he, Yeshua says to these people, you're wanting to do the deeds of your father or the desires of your father. He was saying that you're wanting to kill me. You're wanting to murder. You're lying. You're trying to set a snare in order that you can kill me. That's what your father, the devil, does. He tells lies. Now, keep in mind now, he's also posing as an angel of light. So he's not going to just come out and tell some big whopper that's obviously and blatantly a lie. No, he's much more shrewd than that. In fact, he's the more subtle, the most subtle of all the beasts of the field that the Lord God is. He is an illusionist, if you will. Because an illusionist wants you to look in, because he, because he do, doesn't want you looking at this hand. He's going to present something shining over here so that it'll attract your attention so that you won't be focusing on what he's actually doing over here. So he's going to be telling you a lie. He's going to be trying to deceive you. But why? In order to kill you. The adversary comes to steal, kill, and destroy and it starts out by stealing. And stealing involves a bit of deception as well. So all this is to say that when people are murdering, when they're robbing, when they're lying, and we, by that uh, last one in particular, we mean as a lifestyle, that is their way of living, that's their mindset, then they're actually doing the desires of their father, that is the devil. And... The fact that Yeshua says that it's your father is not to imply, again, that he's your physical father. No, it's just that you have allowed his seed, which is his word, that which is a lie, to come into your life, to germinate, to grow, and to produce its fruit. Its fruit being murder, lies, robbery, these kinds of things. So then... In John chapter 10, Yeshua not only identifies the adversary as the murderer and the father of lies, but he also says, says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. And of course, who is he alluding to here? It's the adversary. So then, when Cain murders his brother, he lies, lies about his whereabouts. When he robs the earth of Abel's righteous seed, he is, he is fruit, fruits, fruits, and the desires of his father, the serpent, the adversary. I mean, once again, I want to make this very clear. We don't believe that the serpent had physical relations with the woman and produced Cain in the physical sense. But no, he embraces the seed of the serpent, the word of the serpent, the lie, by default, when he rejects the need for a redeemer, when he rejects the need for the blood of a lamb to cover those things that are cursed. And so one of the consequences of this rejection of God's word and embracing that of the adversary is now the ground is not going to produce anything for him. And that's kind of interesting for a couple of reasons. One of them being that the earth had received Abel's blood. And now 
Abel's blood is saturating the earth, the earth is not going to produce fruit for Cain. This mark then that God places upon him identified him as a murderer, as a robber, as a liar, a wanderer as well, and a rebel. And so going back to some things that we've discussed previously, maybe in part, that's why God set this mark upon Cain, because when you find the mark, observe the traits and the attributes that you see in Cain, the murder, the robbing, the lying, the wandering, the rebellion, those kinds of things. And when you see those things, then you'll know what to look for in the end of days. If God, has not, uh, if God had not set that mark upon Cain to call our attention to it, if God had not told us, you understand the end by understanding the beginning, then it's very possible that many people in our generation would not know what to look for in identifying the serpent's seed. I mean, most people in the world don't know what to look for today to identify the serpent's seed. But for those who are embracing God's word, who are attentive to God's word, who are open um, to his spirit, then he has placed that mark upon Cain to identify what we are to be on guard against. And when Cain went out and built that city that we read about, uh, he laid the foundation for a rebellious kingdom, one that is going to be the exact opposite of the kingdom of heaven. If God says to fill the earth, to be fruitful and multiply, what does this other kingdom want to do? No, it wants to come together. It doesn't want to spread out through the earth. It wants to come together. Cain built a city in order for people to come together and so that he could conceal himself, that he could hide himself as a fugitive in the midst of all these people and blend into the environment. So when he built this city, once again, I believe that he laid the foundation for this rebellious kingdom that would continue to manifest itself through the likes of Nimrod, who was the king of Babel in Genesis chapter 10 and in Genesis chapter 11. And then, of course, later on in the persona of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the one who comes to destroy Jerusalem and raise the temple. But when Cain laid the foundation for this rebellious kingdom, in my opinion, the beast, the spirit of Antichrist, took up residence. Now, I want to read some things that others outside of Scripture have to say about Cain. And one of the first references we want to read is from the Jewish historian Josephus. Josephus. And, and so it's kind of a lengthy a bit of text that we have here, but I think it's important because we want to see that others have seen this example that Cain represents and consequently what you and I need to be looking for. So Josephus has this to say. And when Cain had traveled over many countries, he, with his wife, built a city named Nod, which is a place so called, and there he settled his abode where also he had children. However, he did not accept of his punishment in order to amendment. In other words, he wasn't repentant. But he did this to increase his wickedness. For he only aimed to procure everything that was for his own bodily pleasure, 
though it obliged him to be injurious to his neighbors. He augmented his household substance with much wealth by rapine and violence. He excited his acquaintance to procure pleasures and spoils by robbery and became a great leader of men into wicked courses. He also introduced a change in that way of simplicity wherein men lived before and was the author of measures and weights. And whereas they lived innocently and generously while they knew nothing of such arts, he changed the world into cunning craftiness. He first of all set boundaries about lands. He built a city and fortified it with walls. And he compelled his family to come together to it and called that city Enoch after the name of his eldest son, Enoch. Everything that Josephus just said there goes hand in glove with what we're talking about. Cain was not a remorseful, repentant young man. He didn't go and do these things in order to accept the sentence that had been placed upon him, but to the contrary, to reject the sentence that had been placed upon him. In the days of Nimrod, excuse me, the people had been told to spread out, to be fruitful and to multiply throughout the earth. Well, Nimrod viewed that as a sentence. He didn't want to do that. He wanted to come together. If you will, God had told the people to wander out there, to, you know, to journey out there in a similar fashion, not exactly, but in a similar fashion to what Cain is told to do. But what does Nimrod compel the people to do? To come together. Why? Because that's what rebels do. That's what Cain did. He rejects God's admonition, and then he rejects what God told him he's going to be. He is a rebel. He is the first person to manifest and to embody Antichrist. Now, here is what uh, another commentator had to say about Cain. This one's a little shorter, but it says this. Thus, the original rebel against God was Cain. He was therefore the original beast who thought to change times and laws. So I'm not the only one to make this statement. I'm certainly not the first one to make this claim that Cain was not remorseful. He was not repentant, but actually he was a, rebe- uh, he was a rebel. And this perverse, this violent nature that he had, that he didn't put under control but allowed to just run its course, It didn't stop with him, but it filtered down to his descendants. I'm going to go back to Josephus, read a very interesting uh, few comments that he has about Cain and his descendants. It says, while Adam was alive, it came to pass that the posterity of Cain became exceeding wicked, everyone successively dying, one after another, more wicked than the former. They were intolerable in war and vehement in robberies. And if anyone were slow to murder people, yet was he bold in his profligate behavior in acting unjustly and doing injuries for gain. In other words, Cain and his descendants were a violent sort. Cain passed these things on to his seed. And if, according to Scripture, he is of the wicked one, then not only did Cain exhibit the desires 
of his father, the adversary. But Cain's seed did as well. They did what their father, the adversary, wanted them to do. They were manifesting the fruit of that other corruptible seed, the tares, the, the lie, the murder, all these things. That's what the adversary is all about. That's his heart. And so Cain and his seed took what was in the adversary's heart and they manifest it physically in the earth. That's what the beast is all about. That's what the spirit of Antichrist is all about. And we see it, how it exhibits itself in the beginning. Once again, God placed a mark on Cain. And why did he do that? Because there's going to be another mark in the end. And that mark in the end is placed upon those who embrace this same mindset, this same way of living that Cain did. Now, the author, Alfred Edersheim, says this in the book Old Testament History. He says, It is very remarkable that we perceive in the Cainite race those very things which afterwards form the characteristics of heathenism, as we find it among the most advanced nations of antiquity, such as Greece and Rome. In other words, this author is saying that beginning with Cain, we see what came later started here. And if we see all these heathenis, uh, heathenistic rites and pagan rituals in Greece and in Rome and these other, other cultures, they can all trace it back to Cain and to his descendants. Some writings credit Cain and his descendants with being the originators of pagan worship, actually specifically mother-son worship. Some identify Cain as the original sun god and his wife the original queen of heaven. Very interesting. Now, Scripture documents that one of Cain's descendants, one of his grandsons, by the name of Lamech, who, by the way, is not the father of Noah, who went by the same name. But Lamech, the descendant of Cain, was the first recorded polygamist. You can find that in Genesis chapter 4, verse 19. And so it seems that there are these attributes, these traits, these characteristics, these sins, these abominations. It's Cain's seed. It's Cain's descendants. It's Cain himself who introduced these things into the world. In other words, it was through Cain that the adversary took what was in his heart and made it manifest in the earth among men. That's the way it was in the beginning. So I believe, once again, that's why we can, I, I think, safely say that Cain was the first to embody the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist is in the heart of the adversary. But every spirit needs a body to work through. It's like the, the spirit of God. The way God designed things, his spirit needs a body. We have the body of Messiah, and the spirit of God works through his body. Well, I believe the same is true for the spirit of Antichrist. It needs a body to work through. And in the beginning, it was Cain. So if that's the way it was in the beginning, well, then what can we expect in the end? It's going to manifest in murder, lies, robbery, violence, all these things that Cain's seed introduces. In fact, one of the markers of the seed of the serpent is polygamy. 
Now, wait a minute. You, you go back and you look in Scripture and you see that there were other people that were considered to be righteous people who had multiple wives. But I want to take it back to the very beginning. How many wives did God present to Adam? It was one. So, again, it's Cain's descendants that introduce into the world this concept of polygamy. It's Cain's seed that introduces into the world that it doesn't have to be one man and one woman and the two shall become one. Uh, Cain's seed wants to, doesn't like that, doesn't want to accept that, and so introduces all these other things. Now, by his second wife, Lamech sired a son by the name of Tuval Cain. And that's interesting because, of course, in Tuval Cain, he is bearing in part the name of his infamous ancestor. Now, the word Tuval means to proceed forth from or to issue forth from. Cain, or Cain in Hebrew, is the word that means to acquire. So Tuval Cain means this, to issue forth from Cain, to be the, the fruit, so to speak, of Cain, the one who is to acquire. And so then, Tuval Cain, in a sense, is Cain's seed personified. Here's why I believe that's important. The Hebrew term tevel, from which we get Tuval, and it's spelled Tav Vet Lamed. It suggests an incestuous mixture, whether that be relatives, you know, that kind of an incestuous relationship. And there are traditions that say that Tuval Cain and his sister had incestuous relationships. It can be, you know, incestuous as far as species, you know, those kinds of things. But the point is tevel, that Hebrew word which we get the name tuval from, this that issues forth from, the connotation is that it's the fruit of something that was corrupt, that it was mixed, and that it was mingled. And in that way, tuval came is Cain's seed personified. In other words, if Cain is rejecting the pure seed, the good seed, the word of God, then what is he embracing? He's embracing the mixed, mingled seed, the one that renders death. And Tuval Cain is the one who personified this seed. Another interesting point about this person is that he uh, apparently had great knowledge and how to make things out of metal. He was the world's first smith. Here's what verse 22 of Genesis chapter 4 has to say about him. And as for Zillah, that's the second wife of Lamech, she also bore to Vulcane an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. So he was making things of metal. But what exactly was he making? Now, considering that Cain and we would presume his seed, are not going to be able to go and till the ground anymore and produce anything because, remember, Cain's cursed. And like the ground that was cursed, anything that comes forth from the ground is going to be cursed, the fruit of the ground. So if Cain is cursed, then the fruit of Cain is going to be cursed. So Tuval Cain, in other words, I don't believe, is going out making farming implements. Why would he? Because they're not going to be able to use them to any end, it's, it's, the ground is not going to produce for them any longer. 
So then what is he making? And considering that he is a cursed race, he is a cursed seed, and why are they cursed? Because they wanted to curse what God had blessed. So who is their nemesis? Who is their enemy? God's people. So again, what is he making? Well, tradition says it's something the world had never seen before, that he was the inventor of weapons that were made of bronze and that were made of iron. So why would he make these weapons, if that tradition can be trusted? And again, he wouldn't have any reason to make farming tools. They're not going to be really of any service to him. So what is he making? Well, again, tradition says weapons, weapons of brass and iron. And if he makes weapons, why? Well, because the seed of the serpent is at war with the seed of the woman. And the prophecy was in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman would destroy, that is to crush the seed of the serpent. The serpent is not going to accept that sentence. Cain didn't accept the sentence to be a vagabond and a wanderer. Nimrod would not accept God's instruction for them to spread out and to multiply. And so the seed of the serpent rejects what God says. And so if the serpent and his seed was destined to be destroyed by the seed of the woman or to be bruised by the seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent is going to try to change all of that. And so he manufactures weapons with the intent of destroying the righteous seed. Now, I want to show you the Hebrew word for bronze. It's spelled nun chet shin tav, nechoshet. Nechoshet, bronze or brass. But I want to show you now the root word it comes from. Nun chet shin. And nun chet shin is the Hebrew word nachash, which is also the word serpent. In other words, Cain's seed developed weapons associated with the serpent. Why does the serpent need weapons? Because he's forming them against God's people. In short, we could say this, that Tuval Cain, Cain's seed, were the first to develop weapons of mass destruction. And their intent was to destroy God's people. That's all we have for this week. Come back, join us next time, and we'll be continuing to talk about Cain's seed and the mark of Cain. Shalom. Like what you're hearing? Become a Bill Cloud Premium Partner to watch or listen to hundreds of hours of teachings and resources on demand. Go to BillCloud.com slash subscribe to start watching today.